0: The Guardian. The joy of ebooks is that great stories are just a click away. For our podcast listeners, we have a great offer on Luke Harding's book Mafia State, a menacing tale of life as a journalist in present-day Russia. I'll tell you more at the end of the show. Hello, it's Music Weekly. I'm Alexis Petridis. And I'm Kieran Yates. Coming up, filmmaker Jamie Kastner decodes the subliminal messages hidden within 70s disco. And
1: Peter Hook, yes, THE Peter Hook, talks Joy Division, New Order versus The Cure, and how to avoid classic band stereotypes. There are certain
2: clichés in rock and roll, I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> you know, the drummer is the mad one, the eccentric one, the singers are the tight ones, guitarists are off with the fairies, and uh, the bass player
1: drives the van.
0: And Tim Jones joins us to review three new songs in Singles Club.
1: That's all here on Music Weekly from The Guardian. Okay, joining us this week we have Music Weekly regular Tim Jones. Hello, hello. How are you? What have
3: you been doing? Oh, hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm great. Just come up from holiday, so actually where have you I'm been? great because I've been on holiday and um, where have you been? Went to Greece. Went to Kefalonia.
1: Wow. How was that? Lovely. Kefalonia is very nice.
3: Very, very lovely. Yeah. Very quiet.
1: Did you check out any of the local music scene? Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
3: I've come back with loads of There's
1: an album, I've just been sent an album by the guy who uh, used to be Blue States, if you remember Blue States, sort mm-hmm. of a bit of a kind of chill out thing, yeah. and he's made an album, he's Greek, or of Greek descent, and he's made an album inspired by uh, Greek garage bands of the 60s, of which I have a compilation, and they're all dreadful, so I, I, don't quite, I haven't listened to the album yet. I don't think it. that'd be dreadful. They're yeah, pretty dreadful. <laughs> I mean, with all the greatest of respect to The Land of My Forefathers, um, you know, it's, they ain't that great. What's been going on in the world? What's been going on in your world, Karen?
0: Um, well, I've been watching videos of Bieber and Gaga vomiting on stage.
1: Yeah, what brought that on? Do we know why they, they were well, sick? Well, Bieber's was milk too much milk too much milk, <laughs> too
3: much milk. <laughs> that's what he said
1: yeah <laughs> that always happens doesn't it I've just had too much milk that, I think that's from the Brian Harvey school of injury isn't its Is it too many baked potatoes yeah but David uh, Bowie
0: lived on milk didn't he milk and peppers Yeah, he wasn't puking No, yeah, yeah, he was, was fine so he, he, so he was a very professional show he was a very health <laughs> um, <very> conscious man
3: <laughs> obviously uh, he went I mean, mad I think just saw Bieber and thought well, "Yeah, anything I can, he can do I can do better she, yeah, she yeah. was sick four times apparently was she Yeah.
1: wow and people threw sausages at her Yes. <laughs> Which is not very... I mean, of all the things you want to happen when you're being sick, I don't want someone to throw sausages at me. Maybe you. that's why
3: she was sick. I that's think it probably just sick. exacerbated the whole... But in both cases, it's caused a bit of uh, a stir because the vocals have continued. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Mm. Which maybe they can sing and vomit at the same time because they're such pros. It's, it's entirely plausible.
1: Have mm. um, I really got ever seen somebody being sick on stage? No. I once saw someone fall asleep on stage, it's a band <laughs> called uh, Bark Psychosis, you, probably, you may or may not remember, sort of a proto-post-rock, kind of on the cusp between being sort of post-rock and sort of a shoegazing band, and I saw them live, and I, I'm fairly certain the bass player nodded off um, <laughs> during their say, he was sitting down. You know. um, I saw Danny
0: Brown get a hand job on stage a few who? weeks ago, Danny it's, Brown, you know. Who's Danny Brown? Oh, he's a rapper, uh, Alexis. Of course he's
1: a rapper. <laughs> he got somebody, somebody wanked him off on stage. Yeah,
0: uh, X-O-Y-O. Right. Actually, uh,
3: kind of with it out.
0: No, under the no. pants. Um, yeah,
3: through the clothes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
0: She should come uh, out with me. Really? Yeah. not you your friend? <laughs> no, not my fr- no, not not me or my friend. No, that's I, like, I just mean I should... you should come out. And this is the kind of oh, well, thing, come thing come you can you. expect. You yeah. out, yeah. I really want to see, see If you go out night. with you,
3: Alexis, she's someone falling asleep on stage. I okay. good. <laughs> <laughs> if you go out with Kieran's. It's <laughs> a bit of a weird thing to do, though, isn't it, on stage? Like, you don't look very cool, do you? Getting people off to rub you through your, through <laughs> what your jeans what usually
1: he say does somebody want to come on stage and, and, no, and bang me up she
0: was just sort of like dancing on the side of him and then she edged ever closer and then that's what happened and then they just went backstage after but he carried on rapping the whole way through did he he didn't miss a beat staunch professional
3: wow <laughs> it'd be great if the vocals carried on what
1: it's a brilliant, brilliant thing that you'd watch like, I can't believe it, he's miming. <laughs> <laughs> that would be like your point of contact with it. There's a, blo- there's a woman giving that rapper a hand job, and said, he's miming. Forget about that. Let's move on. Earlier today, I spoke to uh, the filmmaker Jamie Kastner, who's made a film called The Secret Disco Revolution, which is currently showing in London. But look, I'll let him introduce it.
4: Okay, the secret disco revolution is a sort of comic, ironic investigation into some new revisionist historical theories that are trying to reclaim the disco era as a misunderstood time of protest and liberation. It was not, as we, many of us have long believed, merely a time of dancing, debauchery, drugs, and <laughs> other things that began with D. It was, in fact, uh, we are now told, liberating gay people, black people, women, you name it, it was liberating them.
0: Disco becomes that opportunity for especially African-American women to challenge notions of respectability. And if you want to get a sense of how we then came to live in an era of Lil' Kim from Aretha Franklin, well, you can't understand it without understanding disco.
1: So what spurred you to make, make this film, Jamie? What, what,
4: what set you off on this path? Harold Pinter. I, <laughs> really? <laughs> I, uh, yeah, isn't it obvious? I went to uh, uh, pitch a documentary to an arts uh, station, a then arts station in Canada, about uh, a Canadian, an obscure Canadian connection to Harold Pinter. And I'm pitching my heart out on this thing, and the commissioning editor's eyes glaze over, and she says, nobody gives a shit about Harold Pinter anymore. How about a film on disco? And it's I, s- quite, That's
1: quite a leap to make.
4: Well, you know, you've got to be flexible. I said, okay. You know, uh, uh, you know what pitching is like nowadays. Well, I knew disco would be, would be a great subject no matter what. You know, you've got all the, the visuals, the mm. music, a fun, fun era. And uh, as I started the research... Happily, uh, a friend sent me a copy of the first of these revisionist histories that had come out. It was a book by uh, uh, Peter Shapiro called Turn the Beat Around. And it began to, you know, to, to unearth all these, all, all the, the hidden meanings of disco that, that many of us might have overlooked, including, as he sees it, its, uh, its roots in uh, Nazi Germany. Uh, And another book came out, Hot Stuff by Alice Eccles. And uh, yeah, a a shape for the film began to emerge. These these are kind of academic? Well, they're sort of pop academic texts. That's right. I mean, you know, Alice Eccles is a professor at uh, the University of Southern California. She's written widely on feminism. She's also written a biography on Janis Joplin. Mm -hmm. So kind of pop academics. And, you know, people who use wonderful phrases like... Disco and gay liberation worked hand-in-hand like a psychic intifada against the rules of gay life before disco. And just thinking about chewing on that while picturing (laughs) Barry White just really got me excited. And the
1: artists that you spoke to, which you said a wide range, you know, of big, really big disco names. I mean, it's an impressive selection of people. Did you feel that they were kind of au fait with these theories? Were they baffled by them? Were they, you know, a lot of times a critic, I speak as a rock critic, you come with a theory about music,
4: you present it to the artist and they go, what? Um, You know, so was that that what you found? Well, it's interesting when I was talking, first of all, to the academic, to the main academic in the film, Alan, Eccles, she said that she had barely interviewed the artists herself for precisely that reason. And I think it is, it's it's an interesting insight into the making of history and the telling of, of these kind of stories in that, on one hand, it seems a little bit over the top when when people start talking about disco and psychic intifadas and that kind of thing. But on the other hand, the people oftentimes, and having interviewed a number of musicians, not only for this film, but in general, I, I too know that people can often speak well to their own uh, specific experiences but that doesn't necessarily mean that they have perspective on the larger sweep of things and it's an interesting kind of storytelling conundrum does that who, who who has the final word on that kind of thing the people who are on the ground or the people making the theories up about it afterwards i think it's it's interestingly unanswerable let us talk briefly about your meeting with the village people, or, or explain who it was from the village people that you. Uh well, I met the uh, the people who who predominantly call themselves the village people these days. That that is, I think, three uh, of the surviving original okay. members and two have been with the band for about 25 years, and sure. one guy is, you know, the newbie at nine years or something right, like right, that. Right. Uh, so they are, you know, for all intents and purposes, the Village People uh, 2012. Mm-hmm. And this was, I suppose, my most surprising encounter in the film. I went in there and, and asked what I thought was a pretty routine question for openers. I, I quoted a passage from Alice Eccles' book. I said, you know, you guys are viewed as the ambassadors of gay macho. Uh, you know, bringing the theory to the to the Uh, artists themselves their reaction completely surprised me that whoa 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 us gay whoa back up buddy they didn't want to be associated with anything gay they didn't want to know from gay I said, I'm not asking, nor do I care whether you personally are gay, mm. but I don't think it's the most radical notion ever. I don't think you needed a revisionist historian to tell you that the no, village no, no, people no, 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 were no, no. gay icons. <laughs> but the village people themselves have a completely different view. And I never got past question number three, because in my own slowly processing out loud way, I just kind of kept saying, really? Well, what about <laughs> the lyrics of, of In the Navy? Were you really it was just promoting life in, in the military service? I mean, what you know. We're signing up new seamen fast. <laughs> um, th-
1: no, I mean no it's, it's double in-
4: entendres. Yes, they swore there were no double entendres. Anyway, oh sorry. really? Let, let's, shall, we, uh,
1: shall we? Shall we play a little bit? Just uh, let, let's. I mean, you know, just to, to back up this theory. Let's uh, listen to the, a bit, a bit, a bit of the uh, the first Village People album. A fantastic, I have to say, an absolutely fantastic record. A, a genuinely brilliant, brilliant disco album. This is a little bit of a song called Fire Island. People they're resolutely not gay. They seem that seems to be one step away from sitting there going, "I am not dressed as a
4: cowboy." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I also I think for that first album that 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 Fire Island was on, very few of the of the group themselves were yet assembled. Like like many uh, disco acts, they were they were uh, a producer's creation or the creation of two producers. They certainly were gay. I mean, they're, they're one were. one of them was uh, Jacques Morali, the one who's most famously associated with him and who died of of AIDS uh, in 1991 was definitely gay. The other one who is uh, I was very happy to get for this film and is, uh, hasn't been interviewed very much is Henri Bellolo and he's not gay okay. but was clearly you know a fellow traveller with the movement and uh, as we hear in the film was absolutely promoting acceptance of, of gay people mm. quite surprisingly contrary to the version of events uh, espoused <laughs> by his singers <laughs> I, I, who I, I were just, only hired after the first album.
1: Absolutely, I know they made their debut The Village People in the same now let me get this right it's the same disco that uh, either that's featured in Saturday Night Fever or that the disco in Saturday Night Fever is based it's a very blue collar straight disco and I know they certainly were accepted by a straight blue collar audience as like he's a construction worker. Fair enough. You know, there's absolutely <laughs> no...
4: Because I, too, am a construction worker. This is how I'll be dressed on Monday, you know. Well, I think, yes, that is that is a legendary account of them of them winning winning this tough crowd over. And, and we don't know, indeed, who can say to what extent they actually won them over to the gay message or was it merely that these people, being construction workers themselves, approved of fellow construction <laughs> workers. Uh, and who wouldn't? I think this is sort of, you know, while it was certainly funny, I've got to say, to have the village people uh, swearing that there is nothing gay about their act. It's also kind of sad. And when you think about the fact that they've, I mean, this is just my own theory about it, but I guess they've had to make their living in the kind of casino circuit of sure. middle America, where uh, the news hasn't, hasn't broken yet that, uh, you know, uh, gay people are our friends. I, I assume that's behind their, their, you know, desire for um, this great covert operation. That's a really
1: sad thing, because that's, that's, it, goes from, it goes from being something, as you say, not necessarily revolutionary, but genuinely with a degree of, if not political and social intent behind it, to just, it
4: really ends up as just... Well, I think it, it raises the, the question, how successful a revolution Absolutely. was it if the village people are still in the closet? Yeah. <laughs>
1: well look the secret disco revolution is playing this week at the bfi london film festival more details at bfi.org.uk jamie thank you very much for coming in thank you so much time for singles club where as you know we uh we each bring in a track and we we talk about it that's that's about the size of it um let's start with tim's choice That's Sky Ferreira. Everything is embarrassing. Tim, that's your choice. Tell us about uh, Sky Ferreira. Tell us about everything is embarrassing. Tell us what you
3: She is from LA, I think. Very young. Been a model. Been a poet. Done a bit of everything. Haven't we all darling? exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I thought last week you Our had career
1: path. I've been. A- what did you always prove as a model and a poet? <laughs> a job on the meat counter in international supermarkets. You
3: know? <laughs> <laughs> Last week you had Swanj record on, didn't you? And that's, yeah. that was a Dev Hines production, yep. as was this. I think it's quite interesting. This
1: is Dev Hines, formerly of the Test Icicles? Yes. And wow. Then,
3: formerly of quite a lot of different kind of... Yeah, Blood Orange.
1: And blood and Orange is
3: the, yeah, the new... The what was the thing What was was in between. Then. That was, yeah, what was it? Was it just solo stuff? Uh,
1: Lightspeed Champion. Yes. Thank you. Still, hell, what a leap. But I, th- I saw the test icicles live once <laughs> and at no point did I think one day one of these guys is going to be <laughs> producing a former model and poet in L.A. <laughs> I
3: remember, my main thought was, how do I get out of this terrible gig? But, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny, isn't it? Because I think when he's doing all this genre skipping, it looks a bit kind of bandwagony or yeah. almost a bit desperate. When he steps away from it, that side of it, him being able to kind of jump across different things and pick a mix and things he likes ends up working quite well for him. Mm. No, it's a um, great, it's a very nicely produced record. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a very nice, lovely pop song, really. Yeah,
0: it? I really like it. This is sort of how I wanted Solange to sound because I feel like it's got a lot more attitude and it's a little bit more feisty and I quite liked that about this. And, yeah, They're quite similar beautiful. They? in
3: that they just basically have a really nice melodic hook <coughs> and a bit of...
0: Yeah, quite airy, aren't yeah. they? Mm-hmm. I really
3: liked it. No, I liked it too. Um,
1: it, it, it's also, uh, this EP, not only features Dev Hines, it features Cass McCombs as well. I mean, this is kind of a, a, uh, eclectic.
3: It's kind of fascinating, isn't it, really?
1: Mm. I think Cass McCombs is very good, actually. I think he's a rather underrated uh, singer-songwriter. But, I mean, it's, it's kind of an interesting sort of eclectic choice of people to work with for somebody that's clearly, you know, meant to be quite a sort of mainstream artist.
3: Yeah, and also, if you have kind of a great, voice and you look like a good pop star i just wonder how you kind of look at these kind of fumbling lo-fi indie people and think oh yeah i want this <laughs> the, the, the is gonna make me big it just doesn't seem to make well sense. I, I
1: think the process is probably a bit different i'm sure whatever i'm sure he's got a show reel or something that doesn't you know yeah, yeah, I'm sure Dev Hines, whatever he takes when he sort of you know is 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 going for a production job, I'm sure he doesn't linger too much on the whole Test icicles <laughs> aspect of his career. It's it's a great thing. What, what, do, can we expect other stuff by her? No, she's never releasing another record. Like <laughs> she's, this brilliant, she's going question. back to poetry. <laughs> <laughs> she's unfulfilled by this. She's going back to being a, a poet. Uh, yeah, I think there,
3: there's a lot of people really raving about her and what's gonna. I think there an, there's an EP coming out very shortly, and then there's an album.
1: Is this a bit chill-wavy?
3: Well, a lot of it's all kind of blending into one at the moment, isn't it? There's this kind of, we're still on the bloody 80s, which we've been I know, on since I know. Le Rhythm Digital. In <laughs> Especially
1: since the 80s. I think there's, yeah.
3: there's no point there hasn't been an yeah.
1: 80s revival. It started in, like, 1983 or something. But anyway, yes. Yeah,
3: and I'm almost bored of saying it's quite 80s because that's kind of what I've written yeah it's, it, it, it does have a lot of that no, I'm, just, I'm just
1: intrigued because I got accused of hating on chill wave did you yeah. now you
3: can say you like it I mean no no <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no, you right feel yeah. bullied by chill wave fans. <laughs> yeah
1: bullied by magic like if sorry. you
0: hear any more you're going to kill yourself or something I just
1: like said i had enough of it oh. but I do keep hearing records that I like so maybe I'm just lying bullied by chill wave fans imagine that Trolled, trolled. trolled I was sort of trolled by a chill wave. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't say trolled because he, he was just said, "Stop hating, stop hating Alexis the Nexus Patrol." Troll wave, troll wave. <laughs> Probably amazing.
0: <laughs> uh, I think it's good when you uh, get these female vocals, though, because it's like this breath of fresh air or a little bit of break from the gutsy, like, oh, big ballad or big voices that you've sure. got from pop at the moment, like the big Jessie J's and even Adele, which is lovely. But it's just been so big for quite a long time. that I think we all just need to take a break. And
4: I, I
1: agree. I, I, I think it, it would be good if, you know, I've said this before, but I just think it would be nice if some pop music got in the charts that just sounded different to all the other pop music in the charts, and that would include this, or it could include something like, you know, uh, something like Bat for Lashes, or, you know, something that, she, that she's made now, it's very kind of pop-oriented, but is not, you know, it like Calvin Harris produced it. And I just thought, God, it'd be really refreshing, if just at some point, you know what I mean, it's this sort of hegemony was broken up. But anyway, perhaps it will be by uh, Sky Ferreira. Uh, her new EP, Ghost, which features Dev Hines and Cass McCombs, as we said, will be out on October the 16th. And now this is my choice. Okay, that is my choice. That's uh, Rye, Rye, I know it's pronounced Rye, Rhea.
3: I'd go for Rye.
1: I'd go for Rye, Rod, and Rhea, which sounds like the second part of (laughs) Dyer, (laughs) Rhea. Or even worse, Chris. Chris, oh gosh, um, and that track is called "The Fall." It's coming out on an EP right now, actually, 9th of October. It's out. Um, you a chance it. to make a hilarious.
3: Marky Smith certainly changed his. Um, music He's, he track.
1: has, hasn't he? What a difference in approach. Um, Polydor have signed them up. I believe they too are American. I can only, you know, I just really like this. I think it's a really interesting kind of slightly opaque piece of pop music I'm a bit of a sucker for those kind of Baleariki pianos I don't think that's being done in a kind of knowingly Baleariki you know what I mean reference to sort of uh, music of 1990 way I think that's just the way the record sounds it seems to not particularly sit in any genre and it's a really good song she's got good voice and I was listening to a, a big pile of singles yesterday in the company of my daughter who's nearly three she expressed her disapproval of, of any record you didn't like by just singing a song that she'd made up over the top of it after about a minute. And she stayed silent throughout this one. So I thought, well, that's good as well. You know, <laughs> so she's, she's, she's capturing the all-important youth market there. So um, I'm going to throw this one out into the floor. Kieran.
0: Absolutely beautiful. It reminded me of sebastian Tellier, you yes, know the yes, sort yes. of yeah, the beginning bit sort of it's lovely and i saw the video yesterday as which well which is also really good isn't it really nice mm. yeah i thought it was good it's a little bit more interesting than sort of gazing out and crashing waves or whatever that you might kind of put if you're, you're a chill wave band, this. yeah, yes, exactly <laughs> yeah but this is good yeah i thought it was really lovely and uh yeah like you say it was a bit more interesting there's lots of things going on and the layering's done in a clever way so it doesn't just feel like you're just piling Yeah, it doesn't have that. that I mind. suppose
1: that's one of those things when talking about music, you know, not not specifically about web or whatever, but that kind of, like, mishmashy whirl of sound thing, um, which I think has been a bit overdone now. And this actually has sort of quite a clear, clean kind of production to it, um, while having a certain dreamlike quality about it also. Tim?
3: Yeah, it is very dreamlike. Kind of taps into that thing Jesse Ware's tapping into, in that it's slightly Sade-esque, soul, soulful. Uh, but what I, I listen to it, a really weird reference point st- stood out, which I didn't get at first at all, because at first I thought, you know, it's Balearic, Piano-y, mm. Disco-y, uh, also Sebastian Tellier. But then a bit of the vocals almost sound like Midlake. Interesting. Which which really kind of, I didn't expect to, no. to be saying, but it's all, I think it's the harmonies. And I wonder where you said you don't think it's a conscious thing that they went to try and make a Balearic record mm. if... If there's a bit more of that informing what they do, yeah, maybe there is. I
1: don't, I, I don't know because I, literally know nothing about them as, as, uh, as artists. But yeah, maybe it is. Maybe that's where it's coming from, and it's just sort of a... because there are sort of remixes of Midlake and things like that knocking about, aren't there? That that take. There isn't people. it? Really? Yeah, it's not the first band you would, you know, think of,
3: but there are but sort of. You've like, been Errol. Yeah, remix. Didn't that's they? right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, um, so there you go. Okay. Well, uh, the four LP, as I said, um, is out now on Innovative Leisure slash Polydor Records. Finally. Let's take here and strike. Cast
4: one the play. Let me roll a dice. See what I can lay. Lay fill her right. See what I can slay. Hey, boogie life. Fiends like to my love. Girls like to my love. Cast one the play. Let me roll a dice. See what I can lay. Lay them feeling right. See what I can say. Hey, boogie life. Fiends like to my love. like to my
1: love. she comes that's Mickey Blanco, uh, produced by Sindon and Matrix Man, uh, and that's called Haze Boogie Life. Kieran, your choice. Tell us about Mickey Blanco.
0: I picked this because I, well, I really like Mickey Blanco, who comes under a collective of rappers at the moment have been classified as queer rappers i'm doing inverted commas for those listening why, why are you
1: doing inverted commas just is because he not gay?
0: just well no i just find that term like problematic and okay. and strange you know like i think you get with any strains of kind of hip-hop that are always a little bit difficult in the the, the formative stages mm. but why i chose this because i think this is a really good representation of how Kind of rap music sounds at the moment for you know for people who always ask like oh what's you know what's happening or what does it sound like because and it has, what are the
1: characteristics?
0: Well, it has all those elements of trap, which has been a really big sound in terms of mainstream rap this year. Mm-hmm. And trap is kind of very briefly basically originates from the American South and uh, it's kind of layered with lots of electronica and it's very much the sound of bedroom producers and kind of club culture in rap clubs at the moment. And it comes from that big crate Gucci Main, like DJ screw type thing of having very manipulated vocals and having those lurching vocals talking about, uh, you know, life on the streets, but then being tweaked and manipulated and warped beyond recognition electronically. And that's what I really like about this. I thought it was very worth mentioning because even though it sounds like one of those things that's going to be just a sort of transient trend and it will be out by the end of the year actually another guy that's been kind of called a queer rapper is zebra Katz, and his single i'm a read was like in my opinion one of the tracks of the year it's been huge it's been remixed loads um it's been heard everywhere and i think that that's just quite a nice example of you know something that actually sounds very good and not this kind of arbitrary title given to a strain of rap or hip-hop that you get all the time so, yeah, I liked it. And it's like scary and, you know, warped and weird. And it's kind of what we were talking about last week about not being strictly f- for girls walking home on their own, perhaps. Sure, sure, sure,
1: <laughs> sure, 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 sure. Yeah, it's, it's got a very sinister air to it. And it's yeah. got, as you say, it's got a very, very synthetic mm-hmm. sound to it as well. You know, obviously willfully synthetic. Tim.
3: It has quite a lot in common and then almost is complete opposite to cloud wrap in many ways would you say yeah yeah in that it's so far away from being fluffy and mm-hmm. light and dreamy but at the same time it has a very bedroom feel mm. i thought it's quite interesting in that this is a lot more kind of this i mean the whole scene around this seems to be quite paris's burning esque yep. to me and it's very different to other ways in which kind of you could say hip-hop is becoming a bit more gay friendly mm. which is in not what sense in that you're saying that it's a lot fiercer yeah totally
0: And there's that kind of almost hyper-subversion of the femininity that you might attach to you know, the quintessential homosexual scene because it is, it's self-knowing and it's, you know, it's yeah. sinister. You know, he talks, he says like this beat is sinister in the track. And I think mm-hmm. that that self-knowing quality is really interesting. And it feels like art imitating life in that he is these big eccentric, you know, warped characters. And there is an element of theatre, but actually it's also very serious and, you know, quite masculine in the way that they use fear within yeah. the music.
3: Do you think this goes along with the stuff like ASAP Rocky and stuff, where which is, which is seeing hip hop become a bit more embracing of femininity and stuff, do th- or do you see this as just completely outside of it? And
0: I think that the, I think that it's all kind of inextricably linked sonically, yeah. but I think in terms of characters, these are definitely far more eccentric characters, and you know these would be courted with the fashion world. And, mm-hmm. you know, I understand why they're kind of in trend at the moment. I understand why they're very much kind of a hipster scene or, you know, Tumblr friendly because they sort of encompass all of that sort of fashion of the moment thing. But I think that, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I would hope to see more of this kind of thing, but who knows?
1: I, I, I must admit, I was, I was unaware of the uh, the queer rap scene. And I like the idea of a load of rappers carrying on like the people in Paris is burning, which is a majestic and wonderful film. Um, so, yeah, basically, um, if there's rappers out there carrying on like a load of voguing drag queens, then, then you know, you have the wholehearted support of, uh, of me. Rick um, Ross will be
3: next. Huh? Who? Rick Ross will be next, don't you reckon? Address. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: Work it! Um, Okay, well, that track is on Mickey Blanco's new LP, which is called Cosmic Angel, The Illuminati Princess. I'm sure you can find it on the internet if you so desire. And that just about wraps it up for Singles Club. (laughs) Peter Hook has never been one to shirk away from telling it like it is. After not just one, but two acrimonious breakups for New Order, which has left the band's founders now heading for the courts, it's surprising to note how few attacks there are in Hook's new book, Unknown Pleasures Inside Joy Division. His first memoir about the Hacienda, called How Not to Run a Club, was a critical success. So why has it taken him so long to write about the first band he was in? Michael Han finds out. Whenever I've read a story about Joy Division, and
2: there's a few, I've always thought to myself that people get carried away with one particular aspect of Joy Division's appeal. The um, arty, intellectual canonisation of Ian Curtis, uh, which we weren't like. It's not the way I remember Joy Division. And I always thought that whenever I read one, I thought to myself, I must write one. The thing is, is that after doing the Hacienda book, and being buoyed along by the success <laughs> if, you, if you say it I'm selling a few uh, I thought I could do it
4: I've been waiting for a guy to come and take me by the hand
3: Cause these sensations make me feel the pleasures of a normal man these sensations make
4: bend-
5: I mean, It's interesting what you say about having read those previous books. Now, given that the band was four lads from the Greater Manchester area who did the things that lads together will do, do you find it odd and uncomfortable to see the way the band has been mythologised? Does it become almost unrecognisable to you?
2: No, no. I mean, it's not It's not that aspect. I mean, Joy Division is a very odd thing anyway, because when Ian died, we literally did put it away. Uh, and we went into New Order, Lock, Stock and Barrel. And it worked. You know, you, you worked very hard at New Order. Uh, you made it a fantastic group. And again, in a way, changed popular music. But uh, to my mind now, I think we should have had more time to to grieve for Joy Division really and when New Order split up in 2006 it was the first time I'd actually felt sort of free of New Order in a way and it did make me wonder when I came out of it why we never celebrated anything to do with Joy Division.
5: There are several different Ian Curtises in the book (laughs) which is a point you make Uh, there's the one in the band the fellow who wrote the lyrics, as the fellow who had the laughs and played the practical jokes, there was the mm-hmm. husband, there was a serious artist, and so on. Was he unusual in that? Because I've always imagined you probably have to be several different people to yeah, be. Yeah, I think I think you do. I think it's uh, it's a bit of
2: an art. I mean, when you go home to your mum's for Christmas, you, you're not the mad rock and roller, are you? You just sat there eating the mince pies and drinking the eggnog. So it's out of necessity sometimes, but I think that it's it's when you witness it, it really, and I suppose that there was in Joy Division that there were several aspects that maybe you noticed. And also in a a funny way, it might have been that you felt that you were losing him to Anik or to the arty side, Mm. (laughs) to the dark side. It it is a strange situation to be in. So I think that the interesting thing about Rob Gretton was, was that as soon as he got the band that he wanted, which was Joy Division, when he came in as our manager, he wanted to keep them very insular. He wanted nobody to get involved and he wanted the four of us to be very close together and what happened was was these people were coming in so i think that maybe you were thinking oh you know we don't want this we don't want these outside influences to spoil our little gang so there could have been a reaction against things like that but i mean ian was very good at fitting in it's not it's not a criticism you know i mean i suppose in a way It's something that you do quite naturally with with people that you want to get along with and and impress. Maybe uh, I'm at fault
5: for uh, pointing it out, really. Now, there is one crucial piece of advice for all musicians in your book. Never be the one who owns the van. (laughs) Don't
2: don't don't get caught pissing in an ashtray. Um, It's always the one I stick to. If you're going to piss in an ashtray, try not to get caught. Uh, Yeah. The the problem was is that there are certain cliches in rock and roll. I don't know if you've noticed. You know, the drummer is the mad one, the eccentric one. The singers are the tight ones. Guitarists are off with the fairies, and the, the bass player drives the van it is an amazing uh, true cliche and uh, you have the responsibility uh, because you're driving you have to stay sober you have to look after the gear it becomes your a bit of an obsession really so yes my advice would be to any bass player <laughs> let the drummer drive the van that'll shut him up uh, yeah I, you did get lumbered with it yeah but I mean it was part of the um, the thing it was about earning your your spurs if you like you the the people have mentioned to me you know wow we never realized that a band like you would have to go through through that but every band should go through that because it's it's that grounding that keeps you realistic about the things that you do and i always found found i always found with us lot and factory that you did have a a realism that maybe sometimes people didn't understand and tended to over-mythologise of what you were doing because it actually felt quite simple and quite truthful while you were doing it, you know, things like there was no contracts. Because we trusted each other. <laughs> Surely isn't the whole world about trust. I know it's a bit naive. But the thing is, is that you trusted each other to do the best for each other while you got on. And then when you didn't get on, you'd walk away. Maybe it is naive. I don't know. And the, the thing's as simple as like not putting your singles on your albums because you felt it was a rip off. It was a very punk attitude that we actually carried on for quite a while you know we didn't believe in um, commercializing what we were doing we didn't believe in merchandise now unfortunately merchandise becomes about the only way you can survive you know with with the way that the industry's gone with um, downloading and things like that
5: Now, one of the phrases that crops up again and again is the idea of the Rift Bank and the notion (laughs) that you can't make unlimited withdrawals from the Rift Bank... Do you think most bands get overdrawn there long before they actually give it up?
2: Are you a, are you a musician? Is that, <laughs> is that why it drew
5: you to the riff bank? Because it, 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 it's an
2: interesting thing, and we used we used to have this discussion um, quite a lot, Bernard and I, when we were when we were discussing things <laughs> together. That when you start off, it's easy to write songs. In Joy Division, it was dead easy because there was nothing you know you didn't have any, so it was great to get all these great songs together. By the time you get up to about three hundred it becomes a bit of a struggle to do it. And sometimes, and there have been many occasions when you have been overdrawn at the Rift Bank and you have to go off and sort of clear your mind and and find out why you're doing it in a way i mean it's it's very it's very difficult especially when you concentrate on your instrument like I've, I've been through stages in my career because everybody says to me oh i know it's new order as soon as you start i know it's new order as soon as I listen to joy division i know it's you you know the way you play and your style unless it's a cure in the mid-80s again <laughs> i was just about to get to that <laughs> you see the thing is is that you you sometimes oh well, that's great that you've got a gimmick as my mother used to say you need a <laughs> <laughs> you need a gimmick hour, Peter. But sometimes you used to get guilty of it. And I, I mean, I, I do mention that thing in the book where I went for slap lessons by um, Donald Johnson at a certain ratio and I just couldn't do it. So you do sometimes feel guilty about the style that you're playing in, you know, and you want to go off and do different things. But I have to say it bothered me much less than it bothered Bernard. Bernard was always looking to be refreshed and excited by something, and I think that that was what led to the first split of New Order in 1990, was that he wanted to go off and work with other people because he felt that the band sounded the same all the time, which is absolutely fine. You know, at the time it it hurt a lot,
5: but, you know, you understand it. It's interesting the way you talk about songwriting in the book as well, how a lot of the early songs came from someone coming in with, I want to do something, take Shadow Play where Bernard comes and says, I want to do something like Ocean yeah. by the Velvet Underground. Mm-hmm. And, of course, shallow play, if you listen to it... It doesn't honestly, sound anything like Ocean, no. Once you know that it's that come from Ocean, you can hear of, it
2: all. Yeah, quite nicely to the uh, cure, isn't it? I think the thing is, is that some people can take an influence and can use it... And then you don't spot the influence. Uh, And I think that that is either luck or talent. Let's go for talent.
4: (laughs) Perhaps both. (laughs) Well, maybe. It's
2: probably, I mean, we know it's a combination of everything. But the thing is, is that we were very good at taking an influence and then hiding it, if you like, whereas some people... And I remember my mother taking great delight in um, playing me in between days by The Cure because it sounded so much like New Order. And if you knew my mother, you'd be very surprised at that. So, I mean, there are certain things that you you could but i've never felt that way i've always taken it as a compliment whenever somebody's done it even when i hear it and i hear it a lot obviously especially with joy division in most groups so i don't know i take it i do take it as a compliment
5: now given the nature of the relationships between you and the other principles of the book was it hard to write this book without doing some score settling? Because you're pretty much free of score settling. There's a couple yes. of little things in there. In but very little, <laughs> oh my God.
2: God, I'd have done that even if I'd have known you know, if we if we were friends I'd have still done that. I don't think there's anything damaging in it. I think the the thing is is that to me, we had such a fantastic time in Joy Division and the fact that we were all so musically suited and we were all going in the same direction, hoping for the same things. Your real hopes and dreams really were in place. And the only thing you had to look out for was Ian's illness. And we tried to handle that the best we could, mainly by ignoring it, but that was quite seemed to be what Ian wanted you know he didn't want constantly reminded of it and he didn't want to wear it like a cross he wanted us to just help him carry on so no there was no score certainly I never had that idea and the the interesting thing was that them two actually thought I did they thought I would do that uh, and I took that as a compliment actually that I, that I didn't because if they think that, it just shows the sort of people they are. Actually, although you're obviously More very, me.
5: obviously very jealous of Bernard's foresight in taking a sleeping bag <laughs> in the band the, to keep warm <laughs> when none the rest of you were.
2: Yeah, I think the, uh, I suppose the point you're trying to make there is, is that some people are better at looking after themselves <laughs> than um, than looking after other people, and he, he, he did amaze me. You know, his, his capacity for forward planning for, for himself was was admirable. But uh, I suppose in a funny way, I, I couldn't. It never crossed my mind.
5: Now, finally, I would be remiss oh. if I didn't ask, but I can guess what the answer is. Is there any sign of any reconciliation? <laughs> between you and uh, Bernard and Stephen.
2: I was talking about this on the train actually to a guy in Scotland and um, he said the same thing as you just did there. Uh, And we're at that stage in a divorce, you know, when your missus is cutting the sleeves off your jackets and um, just about to saw the dog in half. So really if somebody asked you that question then you'd go, not a chance in hell.
0: that was peter hook talking to michael han unknown pleasures inside joy division is out now at the guardian bookshop
1: time for your comments last week uh, whatever happened last week was nothing to do with me because I wasn't here (laughs) (laughs) wash my hands of the whole affair Um, uh, I was I was busy interviewing Pete Townsend which has proved not controversial in any way whatsoever Kieran and Rebecca uh, got a few backs up talking about Mumford and Sons Nick Passmore says felt that I had to say something about the antipathy towards white middle-class guitar bands as has been frequently pointed out on numerous occasions Joe Strummer and Henry Rollins both to this demographic group I'm guessing that Rebecca and Kieran would find their music edgy and challenging enough I'm in no way suggesting that Marcus Mumford is some sort of iconoclast but to dismiss his band's music on the basis of his skin colour and social background seems a bit well, racist to me I can't help noticing that both Rebecca and Kieran seem to be rather white and middle class too Kieran Wrong <laughs> wrong. K- Kieran, Kieran is, is, is Indian and uh, so, you know I, I, Shame I don't think
3: Beck is very happy about being called middle class either
1: Really? Is no. she not? Okay. Well, I mean, you know. She's from the slums, Becca. Is she?
0: why she keeps it so real, I'm
1: white and middle class, if that's the use to anybody.
3: Yeah, I am. I'm I, a yeah. I, when, when is our voice going to get heard? I know. I was going to say,
1: where No when. Oh, when.
0: <laughs> I quite like being called middle class. I feel like I've
1: made it. Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah. You have. You're upwardly mobile, darling. Um, nice I, 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 I do take your point. <laughs> I don't really know uh, what they said. I don't really you know. I left this in your hands, and look, you've...
0: I was was trying, I was trying my best. I didn't know that Becca was going to start talking about race.
1: Anyway, right, so regular on the Music Weekly message board... Dave Portivo provides a different take. Rebecca Nicholson is always my favourite guest on Music Weekly. Amazing, brilliant. Uh, and this was a particularly good performance, not only for bringing in Solange, but mainly for this. It's all part of this new royal wedding, Marks and Spencer Englishness, that's being celebrated, and it's making me say Maybe, maybe that's the point, I think, about Mumford, or people's antipathy towards Mumford and Sons. It all seems a bit Dorset cereals. You know what I mean? It all seems a bit isn't smoothies you know what I mean um, I don't think it's to do with their Englishness there's nothing uh, wrong with celebrating your Englishness it's boring isn't it it's what? boring that, that's it's a boring take on
3: Englishness the whole culture at the moment is just dreary
0: <laughs> but it's also to assume that everybody has the same experience of Englishness because I'm English but that doesn't identify with my experience I don't know if that, that
3: vision that picture of Englishness ever existed anyway is it It's that, that whole kind of you know British Bake Off Mm. union jacks bunting etc it's, it's a bit of a
0: but people mm. do love that don't they like they're yeah, they surely it, like yeah. they show that there it, is they're a like harking
3: back that. to this kind of mythical time aren't they that never do you think that's what it is i never thought that i was
1: asking my wife last night why the great british bake-off is so compelling you think it's it's like uh well i why. actually i
3: actually don't mind it because I, I almost treat it like uh ambient <laughs> ambient music <laughs> ambient it's, it's kind of just there and then it's like taking you know methadone or something you just, you, just you, you have a horrible day and then you just oh God, suddenly an, be, an hour has disappeared from your life but you feel all calm you don't know, no, you don't no, know absolutely, what's happened absolutely some not. cakes have passed by somewhere I don't know I'll tell you
1: what though terrible Brendan off the Great British Bake Off I bet. miserable sword. He's got <laughs> little, oh he has he's got one of those faces you know I, I, I'm very pleased he, was, he always says how pleased he is with the judges comments in a way that indicates that if the judges had said anything other than giving him good comments he would have murdered them in cold blood meanwhile today I am the Zodiac simply says Jim Jones Jim Jones Girl Can't Dance is one of my favourite songs it's just so perfect
0: Thanks for all your comments. Keep leaving your thoughts at guardian.co.uk forward slash Music
1: That's it for this week. My thanks to Kieran, to Jamie Kastner, Peter Hook, Michael Han, and Tim Jones. Music Weekly was produced by Matt Hill. We'll be back next week.
0: Bye. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio. For a limited period only, we have an exclusive ebook offer for Guardian podcast listeners. Guardian columnist Luke Harding's Mafia State... Is a dark and ominous insight into the life of a journalist in present day Russia. We're offering 30% off the list price of $4.99. All you have to do is go to the ebook store www.kobo.com, that's K O B O.com, and at checkout, put in the discount code MafiaState for your Guardian podcast offer.